Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name's David Pembroke, and thanks for joining us in Transition, the podcast dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Today, we're joined by two Australian champions. They have just won the Australian Marketing Institute's award for content marketing for a project with the New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service, that project Wild About Wales. This is going to be a great conversation, so don't go anywhere for the next half an hour. But before we come to our guests, as we do each week, it's definition time because it is so important that we know and understand what it is precisely what we are talking about. So content marketing is a strategic and measurable business process that relies on the curation, creation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. Its purpose is to engage and inform a clearly defined audience with the objective of driving a desired citizen or stakeholder action. So to my guests today, and I'm delighted that they are both here with me in the studio, Todd and Clint Wright, the directors of the marketing firm Three Sides, based here in Canberra alongside with me. And I've got to say that as a local, I am very proud that the local guys have carried out the national title. Founded in 2007, Three Sides has worked in both the private and public sectors, but they have a wonderful track record, particularly in the tourism industry where they have achieved great results over many, many years. So Todd and Clint, thanks very much for joining us here at Content Group. Thanks, David. Thanks Cheers, for having David. us along. Okay, so let's get the voices right. So Todd, give it to you. No, yeah, sorry, that, Clint, that's Clint. Clint, Todd. Welcome to the next half hour of splitting brothers. So when you start a family business and you're brothers, my mum's still trying to get it right. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Where, where does it all come from? How did you, you guys start? Are you local people? Are you from Canberra? Canberrans born and bred, and okay. we are gone enough holidays to know we love the place. Yeah. And um, proud and proud parochial Canberrans. Um, we started Three Sides back in 2007, 2008, after both uh, working for government and um, we both worked in roles. Clint was at the National Museum of Australia. Um, I was at Visit Canberra. Um, but we'd also had stints overseas doing different work. And um, Clint worked for the Bureau of Tourism Research, and I worked at the University of Canberra. And we found ourselves sitting in a meeting one day. And there was 12 people in the room and there was two people doing the talking and we were talking to each other. <laughs> and we thought, why aren't we doing this for ourselves? And yeah, right. um, so I guess out of, um, out of identifying that we had a lot of good ideas, uh, we'd both had, a, I guess, an entrepreneurial flair, flair growing up and we'd always been interested in business. It wasn't really a family um, tradition to start a business, um, but we both uh, were really interested in the business space, the marketing, PR, comm side of things. Mm. Um, so we thought we'd have a crack and here we are eight years later. So Clint, where, what was the training for you to get you to, to where you started to acquire the skills? Yeah, look, I, um, I had, a, I guess, a traditional sort of pathway through university, Bachelor of Business, and, um, and I found uh, I just really liked the marketing subjects at, at university and um, seemed to be a, a bit sexier than the economics and the, um, and the finance side of things. So I uh, followed that path and, um, and then ended up doing postgraduate studies in marketing communications and um yeah I, I guess being brothers some sort of weird genetic study waiting to happen and and just to add in there we didn't really get along when we were kids we used to fight like cat and dog so um you know mum's pretty proud that we're now sharing a boardroom together and 
and running a business of um, 13 staff here in Canberra. So, um, yeah, I guess that that sort of traditional academic grounding um, really set me up well for a range of different roles that I, that I worked in. Um, Todd mentioned National Museum. I worked in a lot of hotels and resorts. Um, spent a bit, bit of time over in the UK working in the property industry, which was... Um, uh, yeah, pretty pretty fascinating, really, coming from Australia and um, then being lumped the um, the challenge of selling castles and and the like in uh, in the UK was um, yeah it was a pretty interesting experience and yeah coming back home I guess to to set up a business back to the uh, back to the hometown and bringing all that global experience with us. So, mm. and when you when you started was was it clear? Do you think you knew where you were headed, or was it just that you respected each other's opinions and you thought we can actually solve some problems for people here? We had an idea of what we wanted to do. We had no idea how we were going to get there. And um, all we knew is we had to use the relationships that we already had developed around Canberra. Mm -hmm. And um, if you know Canberra, if you know Canberra well enough, you know that all your relationships follow you and uh, you need to look after people. And um, so using some of those relationships, we just made a few phone calls and said, you know, we'll do anything. We'll do anything, guys, to start with. And Mm -hmm. one of our famous first jobs that um, we'll probably not do again um, was selling advertising for a local publication, uh, which will remain nameless. And and we just thought that, you know, advertising sales, surely that's marketing. Advertising equals marketing. And um, then we started making phone calls trying to flog space. And um, people couldn't confidently answer whether they wanted to go again, whether they wanted to place it and whether, oh, you know, we just said, well, do you have a budget? Do you have a marketing plan? Where does advertising, where does this publication fit? People go, oh, I'm not really that sure. And some people said yes because they liked the person that owned the publication. Some people said yes because they'd seen the publication and they had it in their in their outlet. And we just thought, wait a minute. Every time we call up, they're not 100% sure what they're doing. So then we thought, well, um, maybe we can be the guys, not just selling them the one one tactic, maybe right. we can be the guys that help them plan. Maybe we can be the guys that help them identify their target market and um, sort of the content marketing has come as a product um, as we've developed the business. And uh, many, many years after we've started, we're mm. not that old, but um, content marketing was never part of our original product set because our original product set was just time and hours. We can do anything. Um, then we started becoming more strategic in terms of focusing on skills and as the team grew, uh, really providing the, the best products and services to match the skills and experience that we had, but also what our clients needed. So we've sort of moulded the two and, and come to a, a happy space right now. Yeah, and Clint, you, you've got a great reputation, particularly, you've got a great reputation full stop, but you have a particularly good, strong reputation in tourism. How has that developed? Yeah, look, I think um, I think both of us really had um, a passion for travel that was um, forged as we were growing up as kids. Mum and Dad always loved to travel, took us over. So we were lucky enough to um, go overseas and and I guess be a tourist in a range of different places and and see how it all worked. And I guess um, starting out in our fledging careers, you got a choice of which industry you want to work in, and tourism looked pretty good to us. It um, yeah. um, it looked like really good product, really good experiences. Um, you know, it allowed us to actually travel and, and work a, as we were travelling around the world and getting those experiences as well. And then uh, coming back to Canberra, bringing all that all that experience back home. So um, still got a real passion for travel and leisure. And I guess early in our career, that that's all we did. Our clients were travel leisure. That was our network. And mm. um, I guess we then um, made a decision that we needed to operate in other industry sectors. And um, I think it's a pretty risky move for any agency to be operating in one specific sector um, that, with the ups and downs of the economy mm-hmm. and um, and then slowly uh, brought on team with expertise in other industries and, and now we've grown out to, to working in pretty much um, 
any any industry you can imagine. So from professional services to construction um, to insurance to law firms, uh, the arts, photography, creative industries, a um, whole range of stuff that we do. So, um, but yeah, still have a real passion for tourism, and um, and I guess uh, crossing over into the award-winning submission that we uh, put forward this year, uh, National Parks being a real passion of mine. I'm very into the outdoors and I guess we started a business as well to do things that we're actually passionate about and that we enjoy and and um, and we bring that to every project that we work on. Okay, great. So that's a fantastic setup, but I really do want to talk about the, the uh, championship you get, winning. You want to get wild about Wales, David. <laughs> I want to get wild because it, it's, it's a great campaign. I've really enjoyed looking at it, examining it, pulling it apart, trying to understand it. This is, it, well, it, it won the Australian Championship, so it, it deserves uh, due accolade and due recognition. So let's go right back to the beginning and let's tell the story. Where did it start? I know that you've been working with New South Wales Parks and Wildlife for a while, but let's talk about this campaign. Yeah, look, I think this campaign started, um, it was five to six years ago, and National Parks, just to give you a bit of background, um, a a government agency that very much in the environmental protection space, but they also have a big charter to make those natural areas that they can serve available for uh, the local community local communities and, and Australians to enjoy as well and experience. And I guess their thinking is that if people actually get out in nature and experience nature and have an experience with nature, they're going to be much more inclined to be advocates of protection of our natural environment and the, um, and the resource that the environment is. Um, so as part of that, um, National Parks looked at a challenge that they were facing and that was to get people to experience their coastal national parks during what was a traditionally low visitation period um, being the winter months. Um, not a lot of people are going to the coast. It's, it can be miserable weather um, and it's not the time of year that most people in Australia go and enjoy a, a seaside holiday. Uh, national parks have a range of different accommodation options. They have tours, they have experiences all up and down the coast and they were looking for a way to really drive visitation to those national parks during that period. So uh, together with the team at National Parks, we looked at, well, what is happening in nature during that period? And um, <laughs> What's the yeah, product? it's cold and What's miserable. Going on? And <laughs> surely there's something there and it just so happens that our uh, beautiful whales are migrating from Antarctica up to the warmer breeding waters and, and happen to swim right past the national parks that we were trying to promote. So everybody loves a whale, right? So it seemed like a no-brainer. How do we, how do we actually harness the love of whales and get people out into these national parks during what what can be a pretty miserable time. And that, must have been, so. that must have been an interesting conversation, Todd, when, when the light went on, when someone said, oh, the whales. <laughs> Was it like, duh, well, <laughs> we should have been doing this forever. If you think about a business that has to promote a product that they don't own, welcome to national parks. Yep. So, you know, national parks are owned by all Australians, but we don't really own it. We're just caretakers for it, right? So, um, and then uh, national parks stop when the water starts. So they become marine reserves and that's a totally different department ah, in the okay. whole government structure of things. Right. So we so were only thinking up until up, up onto the edge of the beach. Well, they, they always knew that whale watching was something that you can do from land and they also have their licensed operator programs um, where they've actually got whale watching boats that go out and but there's a lot of different layers of government that regulate and license the waterways and, and also the oceans and in which the, the whales are but I guess let me stop for a second have you ever been whale watching? Never, no. So 
if you've been while watching, you totally change your opinion about how the ocean works. It's that moment, that first moment where you see a whale breach. You know, it might be a, 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 um, a humpback whale or it might be um, a different uh, a minke whale or something like that. All of a sudden they pop out of the ocean. The ocean's flat and blue. Think about it in your mind. It's flat, it's blue. Sometimes get waves. You think about you know people think of the ocean and they'll they'll think of a memory that if they're sailing or if they you know they they think about boats. But once you see that whale jump out of the ocean, you change your whole opinion about the environment, about a mag- this magnificent creature. So, you know, people go to safaris on Africa and they'll look for the big five and, uh, you know, they'll look for elephants and these gigantic giraffes and the, the amazing rhinoceros. But once you see a whale jump out of the ocean, you just start all bets are off. <laughs> and even if you've been out there for four or five hours bobbing around complaining that you're seasick and we haven't seen anything yet, <laughs> that moment that you see a whale everything changes. So what we did in the early stages is we make sure we took all the stuff while watching and we went and saw it for ourselves and got everyone said, well, this is the product. This is what we're promoting. We've got to go and experience it for ourselves. And um, national parks had had a, a number of star ranges and a number of key areas up and down the coast in New South Wales. So we had the talent. The product was the whales. The land was the places where they could go into the national parks and park the car and go on a bushwalk. They could stay in accommodation. The towns were the areas in which the hubs and the businesses attracted them all. Um, the, but the main thing that we didn't have, um, which was, I guess, a, a key part of the program that um, Clinton and some of the team came up with, was the season. And um, when we first uh, sat down and said, all right, well, we've got to define this season and really tell people um, that whales start on this date and they finish on that date, that's where we've really got to start packaging this up and use a bit of our marketing skills, um, but also make sure that we know when the stories start, when the stories peak, when the stories stop, and how can we create different ways of looking at this same product? Because it, it's not the same whale every time jumping, right? It's 10,000 whales going up our coast and it's increasing every year. So the product was always changed. We, we had to keep it simple. And we had to tell people to do a simple thing that's Go and see them for yourself. Yeah. But when we caught up on getting off the plane the other day and that was one of the insights you gave me, which I really loved, was this notion of um, the season. Like you said, just like a football season. And I was absolutely captivated by that idea because it was like, oh, so there's a start date and there's a stop date and there's a whole lot of things. And so therefore, you're creating lots of activity where you can – you know, pick and move and shape it and do it in different sorts of ways. Yeah, and it was interesting. Uh, my background of um, uh, had a misspent youth chasing the snow around the world. <laughs> and um, I guess the, the idea of the ski season and yeah. the sense of urgency that that creates within that, that tourism space really, really resonated. And um, I remember coming up with the idea of defining that season and, and having, having a countdown and having that sense of urgency that you've got to get there during this period was really crucial to the campaign. Uh, the one thing that was a challenge, though, is nature doesn't always play its part. And, uh, the whale- <laughs> it doesn't always turn up on time, right? <laughs> the whale, the like whales- going to the stadium and there's no teams. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the whales were... Don't um, come on Sunday. And- we played yesterday. <laughs> and look, I guess a credit to National Parks, the um, the health of the ecosystem, they've actually started coming earlier ah. and, um, and a lot more of them. So... Um, we had this stake in the sand for the official start of the whale watching season, but you always get an early snow snow during ski season as well, and it was yeah. a good chance to 
Um, be be reactive in that content space and and start to plant the seed that oh it's going to be the best season ever and we got the experts out there from national parks to to talk up the season and really get people uh, driving to the website where we converted them to a visit for national parks. Now we'll come to the conversation about the actual content that you can create and the user generated content that the, you're able to you know encourage out of the the audience that you're able to. Um, encouraged to go and engage. But let's go back up the planning scale a little bit further and, and give us some insights into your, your thinking around the audience and that definition of the audience and the understanding of the audience. How did you go about unpicking that? Yeah, look, I think it's crucial and particularly in that content marketing and social media space, everybody's latched on to the idea of content, 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 content. But what I'm seeing out there at the moment is uh, people putting out volumes, not necessarily uh, quality. And I think an understanding of the audience was was crucial to this campaign, and we started the we started the idea generation around listening to what was already happening out there. Where is the conversation happening about whales? What are they talking about? And trying to really define who was that audience that we we're going to talk to before we even put pen to paper or or got photographers out or or even had ideas around the type of content that we would create. So I think really um, listening into what's already happening out there and what we found is that the conversation was happening absolutely everywhere, but no one was owning the conversation. So part of the campaign was creating platforms that we could bring people in to have that conversation. It, it sounded pretty easy, really. So, um, And that included people that had already been passionate about whales, had already been whale watching. Uh, there were tour operators out there. There was a whole range of things going on out there on online that um, that we tapped into and to get that understanding of the audience. And then that worked through to, I guess, what was the content not being created and what were the gaps that needed to be filled in terms of what we put that out there in the campaign and how would we harness the content that was already being created out there to happen in our channels right. and okay. uh, with, the, with the aim of getting people interested in the experience. So lots of challenges there, Todd. How did you solve those problems? Uh, I guess one of the most important things that was um, available to us was the, the partnerships in the campaign. So, um, again, National Parks was only one layer of the environment yeah. um, excuse the pun, um, to, uh, to actually focus on. But we had partnerships through local government um, areas, so local councils. We had partnerships through destination marketing organisations that existed in those councils. We could create partnerships with individual business operators and we could create partnerships all across the area and these people they own the audience. So National Parks itself had, has its own audiences, um, but the audiences could um, be owned or already be harnessed by so many of those different partners around. So um, having conversations and developing, I guess, um, uh, written partnership agreements, we'll do this, you do that, let's share customers and let's get them here. Mm -hmm. um, but what Clint was saying also having the assets, so having the home and the hub. So um, the different tools that needed to be created was um, a, a campaign website, um, wildaboutwales.com.au, um, also a social media space. And at the time, National Parks itself was not on Facebook when the campaign first started. Um, there was plenty of content, um, user-generated content that was out there being created, um, but it wasn't, I guess, being channeled, so things like just trying to coordinate content or curate content um, using hashtags. So the whale on hashtag. Just be just be mindful that we know that hashtags get used for different things, but um, whale on is that is the hashtag for for wild about whales. Um, so really 
um, tapping into audiences through partnerships and then creating the, the spaces in which those conversations could happen and then leveraging things that already existed. National Parks already had a really great database for email direct um, communications and they already had a great customer call centre. Um, they already had a good booking system in which you could book accommodation and do a lot of these things. So it was basically about pulling all those different things together and then creating the messaging. So sometimes that um, you, you start with your target audience, you, you think about your key messages and then you think about your channels. And um, in the first year, it was about a coordination of what assets already exist, where do we need to fill the gaps, um, who are the the um, people with the highest propensity to travel or to add whale watching to an existing trip. So if you're already going down the coast, mm. add a whale watching experience. Um, instead of going to um, Sydney, you know, go a bit further north to, to Newcastle because you can go whale watching. Um, if you're going south, um, go to Eden. It's fantastic whale watching. Um, if you're going to Byron Bay, rather than just sit on the beach, why don't you go on a whale watching um, tour? So making sure that whale watching actually became part of the decision-making set um, when people were thinking yeah. about holidays and travel, the job of national parks necessarily wasn't to tell people to go on holidays. Clint, did you get narrow in terms of focusing on those audience? Because as you say, it sounds like there are you know large numbers of constituent parties everywhere. Was there anywhere where you thought thought, well, that's already happening. We're going to focus on this particular narrow audience because we think that that's the highest yielding opportunity for yeah, us. Yeah, look, it was interesting. And look, one of the challenges that we faced and um, uh, and I guess a lot of your listeners that are in government areas, it can be quite a ri- risk adverse space to play in. And um, I guess, you know, everybody loves the thought of, of healthy whales and whales out there. And you know, we've, um, we've stopped whaling and um, numbers are, are increasing again, but there's still, there's still a conversation happening around whales uh, that is not pleasant. And it's very much a, a space where, where activists are, are quite militant um, and, um, you know, throwing into the conversation without giving my opinion either way on it is um, uh, there are countries around the world that are still partaking in, in whaling. Yeah. Um, so there was a... There was a conversation happening out there that we didn't want to be part of. So um, how did you stay out of that? We yeah, it was quite interesting. Well, how I did you stop them look, coming into? Look, look to... we we used the community actually. So we created okay. a space, and we were very defined in terms of what our spaces were for, and that was to celebrate nature and to celebrate the experience of whale watching, and and um, and really focused on on that theme throughout and um, from time to time we did have activists come in and trying to activate our community and you know we've got something like 30,000 followers now on a Facebook page and um, it was really interesting to see and what we did when when that happened is we, we let it sit for a while just to see what the community would do and and they actually jumped in and and did the uh, yeah. did the defending of the space for us because they felt so passionate about what we were trying to do so um, I guess in terms of the actual audience it was very much a um, I guess the key visitation market for national parks is uh, young families mm-hmm. and um, we found that um, I guess the key influencer within most households in terms of where they're going to go for the weekend and what they're going to do um, was mum. So uh, it was pretty much uh, 75% female skew um, and uh, families with, with young kids. So we really focused in on on that that audience segment and what would they need to know in terms of uh what they need to get out there and actually experience it. And um, it was things like guides for keeping the 
kids' raincoats on when it's a blustery day out on the on the uh, whale watching boat, and yeah. um, you know, Real utility content, yeah, useful stuff, yeah, and look, you stuff. know, like stuff for the kids to do, activities, yeah. games, and um, as well as the more serious content around booking and planning, um, but also tapping into, and I guess for your listeners, one thing that we uncovered is is just how much National Parks New South Wales didn't realise how much rich and unique content that they had within the organisation and really tapping into, and we had one guy, Jeff Ross, that we just call Whale Man now because he's, you know, he's been a whale in past life. He just knows absolutely <laughs> everything about whales um, and he was our expert but he was really good with media and he was actually able to talk about whales in, in layman's terms and and um, and give us some really interesting facts and, and things about whales that we then built into the whole experience about how do you spot them, uh, what are you looking for in terms of different species and, and we really tapped into him and I remember one day he said to us, um, and we got him in that, that space where he was asking us about content and whether content would be relevant to people that we were talking to. And he said, oh, I'm doing this study on um, the blue whale and um, I've got this plane and I'm going to be going up and down the coast looking for the blue whales and I've got a couple of spare seats. Do you reckon the people on social media be interested in coming along with me? Uh, so you those, reckon? <laughs> those sort of conversations. And I, and I really think most organisations, there. You do have unique content. You've got a unique story to tell. It's just about uncovering that and and um, and and working it to get benefit for your organisation. Hey Amen. Like I, public sector organisation, I think national parks and wildlife, whales. You know, it's it's rich, but it it, it spreads everywhere. You know, public sector organisations have so much useful, relevant, valuable information that is just locked away. And I think once the fear factor and risk factor is sort of overcome, you know, hopefully with good practice and tactics and other things and good examples like this, they'll come to, you know, be able to more, be more confident in how they tell their story. Todd, what surprised you? Tell me, tell me something where you thought, oh, I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> um, oh, what rating is your show? <laughs> uh, well, content marketing in the public sector, I reckon they're over 18. So Yeah, so um, <laughs> we've worked with a number of different clients, but um, we always try to learn a, a, lot, about their, a lot about their product. And um, when you really start learning a lot about whales, um, you know, you can you understand that, you know, well, people talk about whales mating and having fun and frolicking and then we hang around in boats. It's, uh, you know, we realised it's a very voyeuristic um, <laughs> pastime. Um, people taking, we didn't get everything right. Um, something that really surprised me was when we'd have user-generated content campaigns, sending you photos of whale watching and stuff like that. Um, some people were so passionate about it, they probably forgot the rules and had to realise it was their own photo that they were sending in. Right. Um, so, you know, you can think, oh, this is going to be great and there's it's going to be fresh content and it's going to be new, but everyone tries to tries to break the rules. Um, but something, I guess, that, that really, really surprised me um, was the level of engagement um, in social and in different things where um, we could just put out something that was really simple. It's another whale. This is probably the 150th photo of a whale that we've done for three months and the activity would grow and grow and grow. So people didn't tire of it, whereas right. the, one of the biggest issues that you'll see with campaigns, they've got a lifespan, and the longer it goes, um, you'll start getting drop-offs, and you'll start getting disinterested people, you'll start getting unsubscribes. It just keeps growing. So, yeah. um, the main one of the main reasons we had to set a, a end date on the season was 
not only because the whales were moving on, but the budget was ending. Yeah. Um, so we made sure that we had to con- contain everything and try and keep the excitement up. Um, but the biggest difficulty is we've always got a gap like the ski season. So what do we do in the off season? So um, the continual challenge uh, or the, the ongoing um, yeah. way to do it is how do you maintain people's excitement in the off season? Um, we're in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, you know, we, they probably don't, they probably have a different type of whale engagement experience that Clinton talked about. Um, it becomes more of an activism space. Right. Um, but, you know, even coming to the States and stuff like that, they've got a really active whale watching um, experience over there. So how do we keep our audiences fresh, live and engaged even in, in the off-season? I'm really interested to know also how you operationalised the, the, the project. How give, give us a sense of who was involved, what roles did they have, how did you work in with the client, what did your editorial calendars look like? How did you execute? Just give us a bit yeah, of an look, oversight about that. Yeah, look, I think, um, and sort of picking up on the on the theme of what were some of the challenges, I think um, we were very lucky to have a, a client that was willing to push the boundaries within their policies. Um, as Todd mentioned, we started So with, were they high up though? Were they, they the, were. Yeah, yeah they okay. were. So and they, they were prepared the to put... Yeah, right. they did. And they were prepared to push it through. Yeah. Um, and... I guess look at and at that time there were within their own department they had barriers such as not being able to use Twitter from their own from their own desk. Um, so there were some pretty archaic uh, policies and procedures in place that we had to overcome. Um, and I guess credit to the client was uh, we had a really good solid planned approach. But as we know, social media moves quickly, and you know we don't we don't have time to be sending tweets for approval up the chain and back down the chain and um, they pretty much handed over the keys for us and, and allowed us to manage those channels on their behalf um, and and took the risk on board, I guess. So yeah. And that's the reason that it worked. Um, in but you had of, their confidence, term, obviously. That's you know, right. They, they knew that you were going to execute against yeah. the plan and there was a good, strong, trusted relationship in place. Yeah, that's right. And But getting into that space of community-generated content, one of the really unique things that we did from a technology perspective is we created the Australia's first ever whale watching app that people could actually use while they're out engaging in the experience, which showed people what to look for, how to spot a whale. But a really cool feature was it actually used the GPS in the phone so people could plonk their sighting down on the map, share what sort of whale they thought it was, and that all consolidated back to the website so that people were sharing the experience while they were out there in nature as well. And I guess the the challenge there was... what if, uh, you know, what if it's live, it's real time, you know, what happens if this happens, what happens if that happens? And look, we had a a risk matrix in place that had points of escalation and and luckily we didn't have too many of those. Um, But yeah, I guess in terms of the team we had on the client side, we had uh, our our project manager and point of contact. On our side, we had our senior manager, project manager, point of contact. And then sitting underneath that, we had uh, a team of team of three pretty much generating this content um, on a on a full-time basis. So I, wow. I guess the resources to actually yeah. make this happen were, were significant mm. um, and I don't think really the client recognised the time and effort involved initially. Um, and From their end or from your from end? From their end, I think. Initially okay. when we started out, there was a certain amount that we could do um, and luckily the campaign was a success and so we, <laughs> we, we managed to grow the time and resources that was available on the on the um, campaign. It's now become their flagship program uh, going forward. But I guess just looking at um, 
the the idea that previously that they had handballed responsibilities of content and social media to the junior in the office because they were the only one that knew how to work Facebook and Twitter and right. and didn't realise I guess the the strategy involved and and the resources that would be required to to have an active presence and also a twenty four seven presence so you know they had the challenge of well who's going to maintain this on the weekend when most people are out there in nature so we had those battles to to get around and. Um, yeah, worked our way through them and, mm. and made it work for the clients. Um, to answer your question about editorial calendars, um, everything was uh, written in probably three months in advance in terms of our anchor content and then um, then what we needed to do is just find, um, I guess, special moments and flexible content yeah. um, throughout the season so we weren't just scrambling every time. So it was very very well planned and that's, you know, because we're in the lead-up to the season and it's not too busy, um, we could have approvals with the clients. So yeah, us right. being in Canberra, um, their head office is in Sydney, um, we'd coordinate it. We'd have um, weekly WIP uh, working progress meetings, um, always on the phone, um, always on you know Skype or, or catch-ups, and um, we'd make sure that all of the team was across everything. So even from our point of view, um, making sure that we had sort of round-the-clock management of it because if somebody steps out, the can- whales keep coming, people keep watching them, they keep sharing content. We still need to make sure that we've got that 24-7 machine running yeah. um, from between us and, and the client. And um, I guess one of the outcomes since when we started Wild About Wales, National Parks has actually built a stronger in-house marketing team um, because Great. they've actually seen um, the importance of having these skills in-house and a lot of people say, well, does that put you out of a job? And you said, no, we've got more people to talk to now. Yeah. Um, so it actually builds their internal capacity and every client should own their own project and then go outside and use external experts to extend what they do and that's what we've really been able to do is to grow with them, extend what they do and we've worked on other parts, other projects um, with them and we're one of many suppliers that, that they have in the in the marketing power comms sort of area um, but we, we like but you're to, the favorites now <laughs> oh, we, we, we like to think that we are um, but I'm sure everyone is special to them so. <laughs> well, yeah, but if you get results you get results and just quickly before we do finish just the results you know like some numbers some measurement and evaluation what sort of framework did you have in place and what sort of uh, accomplishments did you did you get? Yeah, look, quite a stringent one. And um, I guess in terms of um, and our direct point of contact and client uh, had come from a commercial background, and so she was very focused on establishing set KPIs and measurements before the campaign started, yeah. and um, and keeping us to task. And I think that's great. I think any of your listeners out there working with agencies, uh, it gives us something to strive for. It gives us some some goals. Um, uh, and I'd highly recommend being really specific on the numbers that, yeah. that you want your agency to achieve. Um, in terms of numbers, um, we've managed to increase uh, visitation and uh, accommodation bookings, tours by 15% this year. And um, another another outcome um, which was interesting to see was the engagement with uh, conservation activities. So conservation programs, volunteering has increased by 10%. Um, and we've managed to grow, as I mentioned previously, we've, we've grown an online community of nature-based advocates that we're now using for other National Parks campaigns as well. So um, there's 30,000 people connected with us and engaging with us on Facebook. We've had over 350,000 website visitors and, and it just continues to grow and grow. And I guess just throwing it back to, I guess, the, the content scheduling side of things and, and one of the reasons the judges advised us that we, we were successful in our approach to content marketing was, was looking at repurposing content and looking at all the different ways one piece of content could be used across multiple channels. So it may have been a, con- uh, a content theme of 
uh, humpback whales and how many teeth they have, we were able to turn that into a blog article, uh, photography, video, uh, infographics and and constantly repurpose the content in different ways through different channels and and um, really make it work its butt off really so um, I guess in terms of the outcome for the client that, that was um, that was pretty cost effective for them um, and we managed to get them the results as well one of the biggest moments I guess to, to wrap everything up was when the case study video was played at the World Environment Congress in Sydney and um, before the Wild About Wales presentation was um, one of Nelson Mandela's nephews um, and after it was Google talking about their underwater rover vehicles which which is mapping the seafloor right in between that was wild about wales and um new south wales this campaign and their approach to it um had global significance because people gave us feedback and and people giving the the pirate skies feedback that this was um world-class activity and good enough to be on this stage so um you know all awards aside it's when you start creating simple ways for people to enjoy one of the world's most amazing activities like whale watching. Um, yeah, for us, it was about marketing and content and PR and all these great things. Um, but it was, it was our pleasure to unlock this story. And it, it was a beautiful campaign. We really enjoyed it. Well, boys, fantastic stuff. And congratulations to you for winning the Australian Marketing Institute's Content Marketing Award for 2015. You've told a great story, uh, I think the audience, there's so much in that, I think, that people can take away and apply. Um, I think the planning, getting organised, building those relationships or capitalising, third-party influences, who's got your audience, how can you work with them, repurposing content. So there's so much value in the discussion we've just had. So thanks very much for joining us in Transition and thanks very much to you, the audience. Uh, We'll be back next week. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.